The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Sometimes you just need a little spiritual guidance to help get your life back together. It can be compared to mosaic art. Many little pieces that come together to form something beautiful. Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Your host is Mosaic Shaman, Christy Ellen. Christy and her guests are here to ensure that your life is just as you deserve it to be. Happy. Now, here's your host, Christy Ellen. Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. This is Christy Ellen, the Mosaic Shaman. I am broadcasting from the studio here again in Phoenix, Arizona at Voice America. I'm really excited to be here. Got to meet the team here, some really great people that work here at Voice America. And um, we're going to be talking today about inspiring kids with a zeal for change. And the reason I'm in Arizona right now is actually I've been birthing a story for many years, and I'm actually here writing and doing some speaking engagements around the community. I will um, be talking here in Tempe on the 15th um, that evening. I'm going to be in Mesa on February the 6th that evening, and in Phoenix Saturday, February the 11th from 4 to 6 p.m. So if you will go to soulhealerspath.com, you'll actually find out more about those events and where they're being held at, where I'm going to be speaking about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is a topic that addresses... The elephants that we have, kind of the things we have in our life that we don't want to look at, the elephants that don't belong in the room that are making a mess and we're just pretending they're not there. So how to identify what those elephants are. It's kind of like the story about the emperor and his new clothes. I remember that as a kid, um, thinking that there's this, you know, the emperor who was going around with this magical outfit that was made that really wasn't, it didn't exist. He was told that uh, it was visible to people who believed and um, a child looked in the audience and said, why is he not wearing any clothes? So that's kind of what the elephant in the room is about, exactly. It's about a child speaking up and saying, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. So we're going to be speaking today about a topic that's really dear to my heart. And um, I was up most of the night trying to figure out where Spirit was going to guide me to go with this. And I was told to just just to go with what's going to come up in this conversation about inspiring children with zeal and change. Um, you know, what, w- what was your childhood like? Who inspired you when you were growing up? You know, um, adults are very inspirational to children, and they have an effect on their life. Uh, some of us grew up in, in homes that were um, full of love and inspiring people, and others out there grew up in homes where it wasn't there that that was a little more difficult, sometimes really extremely difficult, to, to, to deal with. And um, since I've been on the radio, I've talked about topics such as um, divorce. I've talked about depression. I've talked about suicide. I've talked about drug addictions. We've talked about every topic out there. Um, and this topic is a little more difficult to talk about because it deals with children. And... Um, 
my life story was not one of all sorts of nice things happening. Um, I know I shared a few weeks back about um, at Christmas time the memory of my brother actually being killed in a car accident when he was three years old. And uh, I mean, actually, I was three years old and he was just a baby. And that change of events affected my entire life. My parents were put in the hospital, and they were there for over a month and weren't supposed to make it. My aunt, who was also one of my primary caregivers, was in the hospital as well. So my grandmother was distracted with trying to deal with the funeral and, and her son and daughter and her and my mother being in the hospital. She, she was taking care of those things. And while that happened, I was actually abused by a family member. And um, so I had to deal with that for a long time, and I was threatened that another person would die if I told anyone. So this went on until I was about 10 years old when that person actually committed suicide and left my life. That affected my life a lot, and it actually affected it in, in, in ways you wouldn't have ever imagined because it actually led me here. And um, that healing path that I took was for myself to be to, to find a path of healing that started in my 30s when I had a memory working with children and were dealing with grief. I started to remember my brother, and I started to have these flashback memories of, because uh, when abuse happens to you as a child, you hide it. You don't want to remember it. And it started coming up, and I was um, able to take a journey of healing. I, I went to a, ther- a very beautiful counselor who did a very amazing thing. He, he took these books and he put them on the floor and he said, Christy, can you see these books? And I said, I can see those books. And then he put a chair in front of it and he said, can you see the books? And I said, no. And he goes, where are the books? I said, behind the chair. He said, how do you know? I said, because I saw you put them there. And I know they're there because you didn't move them. He said, this chair is like the people in your life right now who don't want to hear what happened because they weren't able to help you. Now, I'm going to tell you, my caregivers would have taken care of this if they were there, but they weren't there. And a predator preys on someone who's weak and in a situation such as I was being left alone at that time. And so those people didn't want to hear about that. They were like the chair, but it didn't mean that it didn't happen. And that was so refreshing that somebody was saying, I acknowledge this happened, and let's work with the healing. And then the healing began. began. And then I was able to actually go on a whole incredible journey that has led me to becoming a shaman. So when I tell you that I understand what it feels like to feel lost and have suicidal thoughts, to be scared, to be depressed, to go all these topics we're talking about, having a, a child in jail, I know what that feels like. That's why I can actually talk about it. Oh, I know I remember when a, priest or, a preacher would get in front of the pulpit and tell me that their lives were perfect and they never had any struggles. I couldn't listen to them anymore. That was just my personal thing. People who have gone through struggles are the people I know that have made it. Remember, we talked about the victim and the hero. And the hero is the one that takes what happened and helps other people. I was then able to work with kids at risk. Amazing experience that I got to have working with kids at risk. Um, I worked in the outdoors with them for over a dozen years. And I remember having a group of six of them once in a, in a vehicle, and these kids had, had been in jail, and they'd been through the program, and, and they were on probation. And uh, they had to toe the line or they were going back um, to juvenile hall and, and back to jail. And um, I had these six kids in a van, and I was taking them up, and we were going to do a journey up a mountain. It was going to take us about four or five hours. 
um, to take the journey up the mountain and back. And that's what we did. We worked with kids in the wilderness to teach them about going in deep and finding their courage to overcome things in nature. And nature has this amazing way to heal, by the way. Highly recommend it. That's why I tell you, go out in the field and, and yell and get it out and, and deal with it, which I did a lot of yelling about my past. And um, in a field, not on people, just to be able. And connecting to nature helped me heal. And so these children were um, going out, and they were from 13 to 17 years old. And we got to our destination, and there was one girl in the group. She was 14 years old, and she didn't want to climb up the mountain. And I knew that if I didn't convince her to climb up the mountain, we'd be spending that six hours in a car. I had him for six hours, and um, and we'd be missing out on this great experience. So I, I, I just did a little prayer about what should I say to her, and I was inspired to say this. Now, I'm not saying this works all the time, or it was my beliefs, but I was inspired to tell her, are you going to let these guys climb that mountain and outdo you? The reason she didn't want to go up the mountain is one of the guys in the group had been part of a gang that killed her, her cousin. And I said, you know, are you going to let these guys, because I am, a, as a woman, I'm tired of men showing me up. Now, like I said, I'm not telling this, but just what I was inspired to tell her. And she took that, and she said, okay, off we go. And we started up this mountain, and she got up there in record time, in like two hours, and she let out. And she didn't say a word, and I just let her hike. And when we got to the top of the mountain, she turned around, and she looked around, and she started to have tears, and she cried, and she said, it's so beautiful. I didn't know it was so beautiful. These, these kids had never been out of the inner city and they never, she'd never experienced something like this. And so this softened her, and on the way down, she started talking to me, and she started telling me her story. She started telling me that she'd been arrested for prostitution, um, 14 years old, the same age as my oldest son, arrested for prostitution, and that her pimp was also a drug dealer, and that he was in jail still, and it was her boyfriend that she'd been living with him because she ran away from home because her mother used to sell her at nine years old for drugs. And I started seeing her in a different light and going, there's no judgment here. You do not know where you would be if you had that kind of life. You do not know where you would be. And then she started to share with me how maybe she could do this. Maybe one day she could be like me, she said, and go out and take people out and show them these beautiful places. And I started telling her, yes, what I taught my children, you could do anything. You could be anything you want to be. And she started seeing things in a different light. Now, I wish I could tell you that I knew where she is right now. You know, that was, that was a dozen years ago. But I do know that I touched her life that day because I was willing to show up for a child in need. I was willing to show up. And my experiences in my past have driven me to do that, to want to show up. I've worked um, in outreach programs for kids for over 12 years, and then I was able to work with family support, and I got to work with women in a shelter. And that's why I'm here. I'm here because that message means so much to me, that we can heal from our wounds of our past. And we can be a shining beacon for somebody else out there. And if we are willing to show up and be authentic and not be judgmental, and if you're willing to be vulnerable, like I would just was to you, then you can change things. Because if people pretend it's not going on and there's no elephant in the room, then it's never going to end. And it needs to end. Abuse needs to end, whether it's Abuse to a child or to another adult, abuse needs to end. 
And, and so today we're talking about this. We're going to talk about inspiring children with zeal. And, and I got to guess that's where Spirit wanted me to go, to share that story with you and this story of inspiration. Um, I also want to share that I just got through watching this amazing video. Um, I belong to a group called Spiritual Cinema. I highly recommend them, and I'm going to endorse them just a little bit for a moment because what they're doing is really great. They're putting out movies that are inspiring people to change their life. And I watched this movie this weekend that, like I said, things come together when I'm talking about a topic. And it was called Hipperation. Hip-hop-eration. Hip Hip-hop-eration. And it's a documentary about an elder group of da dance troupe, an elder dance troupe. They lived on an island just outside of New Zealand. I can't quite remember the island right now, but they... They decided they wanted to do something different, and they wanted to learn something different, and they wanted to learn dance. And they um, hired a dance instructor to teach them. These are, these are elders between 65 and 94, I believe, was the oldest one in the group. And this girl said, okay, if you want to try something different, how about we try hip-hop? Hip-hop, I mean, that's not something normally you think older people would want to learn how to do, but they said, yeah, let's do that. A couple of them had their viewpoints about hip-hop music, and, and so they decided to do this to start learning hip-hop. Now, there was one in a walker, and there's one in a wheelchair, and they involved everyone in it. And in the process of learning hip-hop, they decided to talk to a group of young street dancers that had their dance troupe on the island of um, New Zealand. And this one of the groups was called Crosh. And so they took these, this group of Maori and Pacific Island kids, and they came over and they met. They, 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 the elders went over to the island, and they met these kids, and they practiced together. And it, and it touched their lives. It touched the lives of these children because they got to see that these people that they thought were judging their music and that didn't see them wholly were actually seeing who they were and dancing with them. A lot of the kids went then to see their own grandparents and reconnect with them from this experience. Um, the elders were able to see that, that these kids had a message, and they were very inspiring. And they, so they danced together, and then the teacher decided, why not go to the hip-hop nationals? And dance. So they raised this money, and they took this group to Las Vegas to dance. And it, I mean, I I had tears in this show. It was I was so touched by the connection with the elders and the young, which is a connection we used to have. I come from Native American background, and we used to have that connection with our elders, the wisdom keepers, to share that message. I remember coming here a couple of years ago and living in Arizona for a couple of winters, and when I was here. I was living in a retirement community, and the message I was hearing from some of the people in the retirement community is we've done our part and we're done. Well, you're not. You're not done. You still have a message to give. You still have a message to teach. And, and so, you know, just that inspiration of these stories where people are reaching out and helping and teaching, because this is our future generation. This is our future generation. And if we don't like the way they're going, then step in and help. Give some advice. Um, they're trying to clean up a mess that perhaps we left. And they're creating a whole new life, and they're inspiring. And I just, I'm motivated by the kids that I've met, the kids in the, in the programs that are, 
are at risk and the kids that are not. It's, it's an amazing journey. So I'm going to invite you to be with us today as we talk about this more. We talk about inspiring children, inspiring kids, and a zeal for change. Now, as we, before we go on to introduce the guest that's coming today, I want to take a moment and do our meditation because we need to be grounded. We need to be grounded as we're exploring this. And I know I threw a lot at you that maybe brought up some of your own wounds. And um, I want to be with you to help you work through that. You know, I do that on soulhealerspath.com, life coaching. I do that. I help you walk through that. And if you want to hear more about me in this area, while I'm here in the Phoenix area, the Phoenix, Scottsdale, Tempe, all the surrounding areas of Mesa and all that, if you're in those areas, come out and listen to me. Come out and listen to me talk about this. Let me share with you techniques and tools as I speak to you about the elephant in the room. So now let's ground ourselves with a meditation before we go on any further today. So put your feet on the ground. And drop in. Drop into your breath. And the breath comes in the belly. Remember, the belly is nice and soft as you breathe into it. And exhale. Anything that was coming up, anything that was coming up, exhale it out. Taking yourself to your breath. That divine breath that gives you life. Breathing into your belly. Dropping into your sit bones. And then I want you to let your roots imagine a big, strong tree, and the roots of that tree go deep into the ground. Droop into the ground in the core of the earth. Drop in. Drop in deep to the inner part of the earth. Drop in to that place where you have your inspiration, to that place where you have your divine. With your breath, Dropping in, going deep into the core of the earth, finding that place where you are connected to your higher source. Those roots deep in the ground, pull up the energy from the earth. Pull it up all the way into your heart. Let it come through the first, second chakra, passing through the heart, going into the throat all the way up into the third eye, pulling your breath up into the crown, letting that breath and energy, the prana from the earth, the great mother who holds us in her womb, come up, pulling it all the way up, like a waterfall coming out your crown and surrounding all around you with your breath. Pull the air down from the top of your crown, passing through passing through your third eye, your voice, into your heart. Let it swirl around a little bit in your heart. Let it spend some time there, clearing out any residue in the heart. And with your breath, take that breath down and let that energy drop through your third, second, and first chakra, grounding into the earth. Pulling the energy up, into your heart and down through the earth, connecting to that energy source of who you divinely are, who you truly are, this being of love and inspiration. You came here to share a message with those who will come after you. You came here to share a message with this world 
a message of love and peace, that you are the divine connected to that divine. You are this beautiful energy of divine love. You are connected to all your sources of healing, growth, and love. You have been here to create a beautiful healing with those who are coming into the world. The world needs love and light at this time on the planet. You can share that love and light. Imagine out of your heart that energy goes out and expands into the room around you and all people you meet. This is divine time to be on the earth. Divine people are showing up, people who are making a difference. I was privileged to meet Chad and Shelley Roll in Philadelphia and talk to them about sketches. Sketches is a program that they're going to share with us because it is good to meet people who have used their time wisely, and these two people have. Chad is going to speak with us today. So we will talk to him in just a moment. Remember to take your hand to your heart. You're safe no matter where you are. And I'll talk to you in just a moment. Thank you. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to live an inspired life. Join Christy Allen, the Mosaic Shaman, as she enhances the quality of your life. Healing with art is Christy's focus. At SoulHealerPath.com, if you follow the steps and use the skill that Christy Ellen teaches in Soul Healer's Path Life Coaching, doing your part and taking 100% of the responsibility for your life, changing your life story, then in one year's time, you could be living the inspired life of your dreams. Soul Healer's Path Life Coaching offers four life coaching packages, starting with the Serpent Path, which is all about awareness and letting go of what you do not want to have and embracing what you do. Go to Soul Healer's Path and sign up for a one-month session of Clearing the Light Body. So come and walk the medicine wheel with Christy Ellen. Visit soulhealerpath.com or call 435-260-9598 for a special newcomer's one-month coaching package for just $300. Christy Ellen is an intuitive healer and master creator. Let her guide you to living the life to which you were born to live and go from ordinary to extraordinary. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. This is Welcome to the Mosaic Garden with Christy Ellen. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or you may send an email to healingart.kp at gmail.com. Now, back to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. So I was talking about how important it is on this planet right now to have love and life. 
and to inspire the children that are coming up because I know that they have a lot of doubt right now. I have four of them, and they speak it out quite a bit to me about their concern about our planet. And so I was privileged enough when I was in Philadelphia to meet two people that were very amazing, and they were working with changing what's going on on this planet. And um, they've made their time. They've used their time well, and they have been here on this earth. And one of them is actually going to speak with us today. Um, That is Chad Roll. And Chad is a 20-year teaching veteran. He goes by the name of Red Roll, and he's going to explain that to you, I'm sure, when we get talking to him in a minute. Um, He helps teachers who struggle with getting um, distracted students to engage in the classroom. And he's the author of a book called Heavy Sketches. It's a creative learning program. I'm pretty excited to talk to him about that. Welcome, Chad. Hi. Thank you very much. So it's exciting to have you here today in person. Uh, I know every time I've met you, there's been this electrical energy of, of just you've got a divine spirit. It's really sweet. Well, thank you. That was Philadelphia. I think that we first met, correct? It was, and you, um, you know, you've when you shared your story, I knew that I wanted you to go live and share that. I know that it might be kind of emotional and all of that because we are talking about a very sacred thing, and that is our children and the children of this planet. And it makes me, I get a little sentimental, so I'll work on that. Um, but it, it means a lot. It's dear to my heart. Um. Well, yeah, and I don't know where you wanted me to start. Did you want me to start um, how this whole thing came about? Or Yeah, let's, let's always start at the beginning. I think that's a good place to start. So, yeah, yeah share with us, um, you know, what, why you want to make any changes out there and why you think they're necessary. Well, I guess I'll take you, I'll take you way back. How's that sound? Back to the, to the days when I was a, a kid and when I was, you know, 8 to 10 and had a... Yeah, everybody has that calling, everybody has a, a gift, and I think a lot of people don't stop and, and, and listen uh, a lot of times to that. But when I was younger, I, for some reason, had a, um, a pull uh, uh, to, to help kids. And, and, and I'm not sure if it was walking into the stores back then in the you know, 70s and 80s and seeing the, the UNICEF container on the counter um, of the stores uh, to help the, the children who were poor and needy and suffering. But it stayed with me, and, you know, 30 years later, here I am, um, still wanting to do that. And, and between then and now, taught school, like you said, for 20 years, and, and I'm still teaching, and started to get into the with the kids with the at-risk and the... Uh, what, you know, what, not just, let's go ahead. Oh, what, what did you see in the schools that, that, um, that you thought needed to have some changing done with that? I mean, was there something you noticed about the students that you were teaching? Well, when I taught school, in the beginning it was, you know, public school teaching and a uh, first grade class or a fifth grade class. I kind of bounced around a little bit. But there, were always, there were, were always those kids that, didn't fit in and school wasn't working for them and always were the ones that needed some extra help. Well, with teachers having so many kids, those kids always got shafted and pushed to the side or went to the principal's office, which made the situation worse because they just kept acting up and and things weren't working for them. So about 10 years ago when I got offered an at-risk job, um, I jumped at it because in the public school, I'd always 
tell the other teachers, well, just give, give those kids to me. I'll, I'll take them. So I was always known to have the bad news bears kind of kids. Um, which, of course, nowadays hurt your test scores because they look at your test scores, you know, for teacher growth, which is crazy. But So I would take all the, the kids that nobody wanted, so to speak, and, and work with them and use my art and kind of make it fun, um, be that teacher that, you know, everybody wants. And as I did that for a while, like I said, in this at-risk school came about, and I kind of jumped at it. Little did I know when I got into it, it wasn't at-risk, the kids that don't want to be in school. It turned out to be mental health, sexually abused, emotionally abused, uh, fetal alcohol, um, autism. We have, we live in a poor county in North Carolina, and, you know, it was either a K through five class with all those kids mixed in. I mean, that's all there were, were all those yeah. kids. Those kids couldn't, couldn't function at the normal school. Or sixth to eighth grade middle school, we had two classes, did the, did the K five for five years and then switched over to the six to eight class only because those students who are middle school are so set in their ways. They're so much older. It's so much harder to break their habits and to show them that there's a, a new way. So that's how I kind of fell into what I'm doing now. So how would, um, I mean, a teacher know that a child is acting out because of um, an abuse issue or, you know, something well, that's that they and don't know about? One. Yeah, yeah that, that's tricky because you don't want to jump the gun and you don't want to accuse uh, a parent or a grandparent of something that they're not doing. Usually what would happen is the kids that are getting, you know, it's just kind of a trail. I guess it starts off with, you know, sometimes it's hard to see signs, but once you, my whole thing with the kids is getting to know them one-on-one, and and that's rare nowadays in school. Um, You either get to know the really great sports guys or the really A student kids that are always attentive, but the ones that sit in the back of the class, the ones that have, have their heads down, that, that cause problems, those are the ones you really got to get to know one-on-one. And in a public school, you're not able to. So the nice part about our school is that I can get one-on-one with them. And yes, they've already been identified as having situations in, in school, which sometimes then goes a little further to um, DSS or Child Protective Services. But well, when they how- come to me, they're already identified as a pro- having problems. And... Yeah. I can kind of be, my school kind of lets me put academics on the back burner, which it should be in this situation, and get with them emotionally and um, try to work with them and bring them out of what they're in. So how getting one-on-one with these children and learning about them helped you develop a program that would change their life? What, what, how, what do you, how did you help them? How did you teach a child that just is so um, distraught they don't want to be teachable? Well, that's tricky, right? And so, you know, art, with any, you know, there's a lot of art therapy out there. I love art. And so when I would get some of these kids, whether they're younger or the older ones, you know, drawing and sitting down, and, you know, some of them are shy, some of them don't want to talk. But just to try to sketch and just sitting there drawing and just through the breeze, you know, talking about the football game or talking about the video game, kind of getting to their level. But then drawing with them, um, and some of these kids are amazing artists. They just nobody's telling them that they are, or if they're doodling in class, they get in trouble for it. So this style of teaching, this sketch noting, um, is where you know you can be 
at the computer. I could be talking, giving a lecture. I could be doing an assignment. They could be looking at their textbooks. But it's not just, especially for these middle school kids, it's not just like rote memory or writing down um, word, word after word, paragraph after paragraph that they have to study. It's letting them be a little creative, letting them own it a little bit by, by drawing little pictures as long as the pictures have to do with what they're learning. And that's the key. When I was in okay. school, I doodled on the side of my paper anything and everything that didn't have to do with what the teacher was talking about. Uh, so that's a problem. But if you can hone it in and get, get them to, to realize that I'm not going to get upset with you as a teacher if you're drawing, you know, you're learning about the Emancipation Proclamation and it's Abraham Lincoln, and you're over here on your side drawing a scroll with the, with the date in it or you're drawing Abraham Lincoln chopping wood. You know, there's... There's a lot to be gained by these students being able to use their hands and being able to visually see what they're creating. Um, you know, studies have shown time and time again that most people are visual learners. So most teachers teach by auditory, that we're talking to them uh-huh. the whole time. You know? So when you actually get to stimulate both sides of the brain by using your creative eyesight, sound, all of that... Um, then they're, are they able to retain more memory? They are, yes. And adults are, too. And, and now I've seen this craze mm-hmm. where, you know, college students and adults that are in business um, conferences are taking sketch notes. And they're, they're even hiring people, big corporations, to sketch note, uh, you know, from their two- or three-hour meetings uh, just because, you know, it's a, it's a proven fact that they, that they do learn better that way. Um, but, you know, that's, not, that's one part of this. That's the, the whole art and learning the academics is, is just one of the parts of, of what's going on with, you know, Shelly and I and me, where the other part is, you know, I'm not teaching these kids because I love ABCs and 1, 2, 3s. That's, I'm not, to me, I'm not an academic teacher. I would say I, I got into the field because these are kids that I want to reach out and help and touch and in order to do that, you've got to spend time with them. So if I have to, you know, do the math and the social studies with them and, and all the things that make a school a school, in, a, in order to be able to have my two hours a day of calling around with them and talking with them and, and mentoring them, especially the boys nowadays, um, that's what I'm doing. Well, and that's a great reason to get in teaching, actually. I think that um, the original meaning, meaning for teaching was to actually want to help someone learn and move forward. I mean, that's the reason you think a teacher would get into teaching. <laughs> so um, well, You would think so, but yeah. like any profession, right, there's a lot of, um, they either get burnt out, they're tired. I mean, I've had plenty of teachers in my time, and probably so have you, but you're like, you don't even like kids. Why are you even a teacher, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. So that's my passion is to, is to, and what's happening with the book now is that, the book's kind of taking off a little bit, which is pulling me away from the school. But I have to look at the big picture, and my big picture was always, you know, they don't call them orphanages anymore, but back when, when I was 8, eight to 10 years old, that's what I wanted to do. You know, have a place and have, a, have a, a safe place where kids who don't have moms and dads, and many of my kids that I do teach are being raised by their grandparents because their parents are absent or you know, on drugs or, or just don't want them anymore. So my goal through this book that I've created isn't because I love to draw and sit around and, and do that. It's because I'm trying to use my talent to create some finances, which isn't happening being a teacher, as we know. 
um, to fund to fund something like that, um, whether it's a you know a group home, whether it's an orphanage, whether it's you know me being able to volunteer here and there, um, and just to free myself up from the kind of the rat race uh, as as we're all in and do what I want to do and do my life stream. And that would be to be helping kids. Wow. So you're going for your passion to go out and do what, what gives you joy and something you would do for free if you could, if you didn't need to eat, right? (laughs) We we do need to eat. (laughs) When I finally realized at 45 that, you know, it's not too late. You know, I thought, oh, I you know, have my own kids. You know, they're they're 17 and 13 and have, a, have my wife and have an animal sanctuary, which we run. And and so I go to school every day, work with these at-risk kids. And for a while there, I was like, oh, and I, and I am making a change. And I am doing a difference, uh, making a difference. But if I have the passion and, and the energy to do more, then I should do more. And that's my whole thing. And I've kind of gotten to that point where... Um, you know, I'm taking a leave of absence from my school so I can focus on being able to free myself up to do those wonderful things. Well, you talked about burnout. So how do you handle burnout so that you don't get burnout? Because you got to put a tremendous amount of energy into what you're doing right now. Well, and I think in the last couple of years, I, even though I didn't want to admit it, nobody wants to admit it who wants to uh, help kids and, and, and give your, of yourself. But I did find myself... Um, you know, you take on these these kids. The girl, you know, a girl came to me and told me she was sexually abused and hadn't told anybody else, and she's 13. And, and so we talked about it. And that, you know, you take on these emotional burdens that these kids have because they don't have anybody else, and they, they lean on you, and they haven't had anybody to lean on. And so multiple, multiple situations happen through these years that, I feel helpless. The system's kind of failed these, these kids, and it is uh, a big burden for me and an emotionally um, draining, I, I would say, and I never thought it would get to that point. I always thought that I would be able to... Draining not in the sense that I don't have enough energy to go to school and help do it all over again, but draining in the sense that, like I said, I feel helpless. I mean, these kids need things that, that aren't being given to them because of our system has to have, you know, the red tape. And yeah. and that just pushes me and drives me more to heck, make my own finances and, cre- and create something and, and, and do it the way it needs to be done. So. I, it kind of reminds me of the story when I, well, I was, I went to Cambodia and long, it's, I'm not getting into the story how I got there, but it wasn't like I chose, I just decided I ended up in Cambodia. And I was there for a month, and I saw so much poverty. I remember when I first sat down to eat the first day there, four little girls came and stood around me and asked for my scraps. And I, I didn't know how to handle that because I had this idea if I threw enough money at something, I could solve everything. And so I bought them a hamburger, and in a minute I had 30 kids. And I couldn't <laughs> give 30 kids a hamburger. And... Because there were more and more, and it overwhelmed me that I didn't know how I was going to handle such a huge project. And I had to learn that the money wasn't going to do it. What I was going to do was start showing love to everyone I met and do the best I could to make some sort of a difference in that ripple of the pond where you throw something in and it ripples out. Right. But that's overwhelming. I, I had that, I remember, and I just wanted to leave that place as fast as I could, and I was to stay there to learn that lesson, that I couldn't help everyone, but maybe I could 
share love and kindness and words because everyone wants to be acknowledged, right? Children want to know that they matter. Everyone right. does. Yeah, that, that they matter. So um, let's see. You know, this book you're talking about, explain more to, to us about what that is, the Heavy Sketches book. Well, that's um, kind of like I said before where, you know, I was in middle school, high school, and college and doodled and sketched on the side of my paper. And yes, didn't pay attention to the teacher as well as I should have paid attention to. So I had all these sketches, and then I, you know, would draw in my spare time. When I became a teacher, I kept drawing with the kids, and that was a a lot of drawings. So I saved them all. Um, Years and years and years. I think 30 years of drawings that I saved. Uh, Dabbled in the art and illustration and writing children's books before. Had had multiple ones, started and stopped. Finished some, but never sent them in. Um, sent some in and got rejected, of course, as a lot of authors, but just what you do. And then kind of put it to the side for a while as, uh, you know, I had my own family and, and raised them. And then I think a couple of years ago, I was sitting in the garage uh, where all great artists work, right, in the middle of the garage. Um, and it just kind of came to me that all these, I have all these drawings, all these sketches. Uh, I didn't want to... As someone we know, uh, I think Steve Harrison, right, said, uh, mm-hmm. you know, go to, go to my grave with the song still inside. So I looked yeah. at all my drawings and I said, you know what, I'm not so bad at, at, as an artist. i got to do something with these. I can't just have them sitting around and have the idea against my, what I always thought about being perfect and everything had to be this way for a book, and just started cutting out all these, these drawings, putting them all together as kind of like a collage on paper, creating stories from my uh, childhood, from my adulthood, from my kids and from my parents, and kind of mishmashed them together and came up with this book that it catches the eyes of the kids because it's so visual and there's so many pictures. Uh, catches the eyes of the kids because it's not perfect and it's, the, the pages look like they're, you know, literally are ripped out and put on, which shows them that they can do this as well. Yeah. And also bridges the gap between what the teachers and parents like because it has a lot of facts, a lot of figures, a lot of um, things that can be tied into the curriculum. So it's kind of like uh, the best of both worlds, so to speak. Are you using it as a tool for curriculum to help um, in the schools, or what, what's your yeah, purpose behind in, it? That, that's a funny thing that you asked me that because yeah. my, I started to, and my hometown here called me into the school board and said that's a conflict of interest that I am using my book and giving my book away. I would give my book away to, to a lot of my at-risk kids when they did really well, had a week or two of great behavior, and, and since we had such a good bond, give, uh, you know, getting a book from a teacher that you like was a big deal. Well, I got called to the school board and they said you can't do that, it's a conflict of interest, blah, blah, blah. We got into a little bit of an argument about it, and so I don't use it in my county anymore, which is really sad. Um, now, I will go and volunteer to other counties and use it, and it's kind of like that profit can't be in this in this hometown, right? You have, oh. you have to go somewhere else. That's why I'm in Arizona right now. I, you know, I have this beautiful radio show and message, and I probably have maybe a handful of listeners in Moab. I'm not sure why. You know, it's just, it, it, it's that. It is that. It's um, it's something about that, that you have to go out and go out and seek. I, I have a lot of listeners here in Arizona. I have a lot of listeners all over the world, you know, 25,000, 21 countries sort of. And, 
It's like your own town doesn't quite see who you are. Um, maybe it's as they don't look past the they can't look past the flaws of humanness. I um, I'm very human, very authentic, and I don't hide that. So right. that might be part of it. I don't know, but so you are using it in other schools that you're going to. You're taking it. Yes, out. and and as, as we speak, I'm actually getting um, one group of students to create their own book with their own sketchnoting, their own writing, their own mini comics. Uh, and I've been working with the PTA on that to to show off these kids. You know, back in the day, we used to have these. It's not just yearbooks, but creative writing books where mm-hmm. everybody would put a poem in or something like that. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah. Uh, they, were black, they were black and white, and so this one's like a whole new twist. This one's full of art, full of color, uh, their work, and, and, and it's what they're learning about in school. So if they're learning in ancient Egypt, the teacher is letting them sketch note, draw pictures, at the same time write a report or, or do a fact sheet with pictures around it. It just makes it... Make the kids more engaged. Oh. Uh, is that? Do you have something to do with the contest you are promoting? The, now the contest is the contest is for anyone. They can just submit a mini comic, separate from what, what I'm doing now. Um, submitting a, a mini comic to go into the next heavy sixty book because, and I don't know why more authors don't do this because there's a lot of authors who who could do it, but. There's some you know, untapped potential of all these students, especially these, these at-risk students, whether it's art, violin, you know, singing, dancing, sports. They don't have the parents at home to encourage them. They don't have the teachers that can take the time, because they don't have the time, to step up, sit, sit them aside and say, wow, you're really talented at this. And so part of what I'm doing in these other schools is try to bring out this confidence in these kids, because... I mean, they're all, they're, there's Bill Gates out there, there's Rosa Parks out there, there's everybody that we're just, I feel like we're passing up a lot of kids. And I know, like you said, you, one person with the money or, you know, I'm just doing my little corner, but like mm-hmm. you said, one of my boys, I'm trying to instill what I have into someone else and so that they can then go like the ripple effect and make you go and do it to someone else. And, it, it is very important. One person makes a big difference. Um, so don't think... That you don't, because you make a big difference out there. You whatever you do, is is reflected back hundred times over. So tell us a little bit more about this contest and where people can go and find out about that. So it's um, the website's heavysketches.com. It's pretty easy, and you know all the kids love comics, right? They love the, the comic books. They love the graphic novels. But it's a little bit more. You know, doing a, t- a mini comic is like a two page spread on anything you want it to be, as long as it's appropriate. Um, and, you know, having a little comic. And they can tell the kids, it's, it's easier. It sounds easy, but to, to go from two pages and have a beginning and an end, it's, it's tricky. you got to know what you, you're wanting to do. Um, and like I said, it could be on anything they want it to be on. It could be on video games. It could be on something uh, academic, the, the, the Super Bowl. Um, it just needs to be in color, and, and if they go to the website, heavysketches.com, they can see a sample of one of those videos. Great. So heavysketches.com is where they can go and find out more, even about the book. And the book's under a different name. <laughs> so where did you get this name, Red Roll? Red the- Roll, okay. Um, well, I'm part Irish, so when I was younger, I grew my goatee out, and for years it, w- it came in red. Uh, of course, that looked kind of strange when I had brown hair, but anyway, 
Um, so I named my, nicknamed it myself Rad. I, like I said, I wrote a couple little first grade books, and I was teaching first grade at the time. And I thought it kind of it kind of went, you know, two R's, red roll. Kind of had a, a catch to it. Uh, a couple years later, I was talking to my mom, and she said, you know, why did you, she asked me that question. Why did you name yourself Red? I kind of told her, and she told me about the grandfather that I never knew who died before uh, I was born. And, and she's like, you didn't know his name, but his name, they used to call him Red. So <laughs> after she told me that, I said, oh, i got to keep it now. So that's how that came about. And all of this is being done so that you can help create a safe place for orphan kids that don't have any place to go. Is that correct? That is correct. That coupled with... Yeah, let's talk about the sanctuary now. Okay, yeah. And that was my wife's dream when I first met her uh, almost 20 years ago. What's your What's your dream, honey? And she was, She said, oh, I'd love to have an animal sanctuary. And, and me being the guy I am, I said, okay, sure. So 20 years later, after hundreds and hundreds of animals that we've had, a lot of abuse cases, you know, she was an animal cruelty investigator, and saw a lot of abuse. Um, we would take in all these animals, many, mostly farm animals that nobody wanted, and re- rehabilitate them and kind of have them as lifers. Uh, you know, we wouldn't adopt them out because we've tried that a couple times. And sometimes when you adopt creatures out, even if you're, they have, you, you have the best intentions, things don't work out very well. So we've had a couple cases where it didn't work out at all very well. So... Um, yeah, we lived in Florida for a long time with the animal sanctuary. As it was four hurricanes kind of crossed years ago, we decided to move to North Carolina uh, and purchase more land. So we have 40 acres up here, and it's the perfect climate for, for animals. So so that's been going on. Of course, my wife and I have been running that by ourselves. It's a nonprofit. But, you know, when you're in a nonprofit and you're helping an, uh, farm animals in, in a county that's predominantly meat eaters, <laughs> it, you don't get too many uh, volunteers and those kind of things. So, you know, we've kind of done everything ourselves. And uh, and that was another thing with this book. I was like, okay, I'm teacher salary. Got two kids going to go to college. I've got an animal sanctuary that we have to pay for ourselves. Something's got to give. And that kind of made me realize that I, that I need to, nobody else is going to do it for me. I need to kind of pull myself up and you know, I love to be on the mountain, love to be hidden, but I need to get this book out there and create some finances that can also help the sanctuary because the kids and the sanctuary will go hand in hand because there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, art's great therapy, but so is animal therapy. That's what I kept thinking when you're talking about that. I'm like, wow, the two of those are a perfect match. Wounded, wounded children and wounded animals that can heal each other. There's just there is a bond that it happens between. Um, humans and their connection to the animals. It doesn't make well, it, it makes perfect sense to me. But <laughs> what that? It makes perfect sense to me as a shaman because we're all connected to everything, and the animals have heart and healing. Right, and and it was funny because one of my worst behaved boys ever that I've had. It was just this last year. Um, horrible, you know, horrible to parents, horrible to kids, teachers, picking fights, saying horrible things. Um, he loved animals, uh, and he, and I, and I, you know, I didn't need to figure out why he was so mean to people and was so nice to animals, but he would always stand up for, for creatures, no matter what they were, and it was interesting uh, just to see that come naturally in a boy who, whose tendency was to be violent. Yeah, I've heard so. lots of stories about that and that connection. Um, 
you know, this just tells a lot about the big heart that the two of you have that want to reach out and and help. And and that's what I authentically saw when I I met with you and 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 saw you. I just like there was just just it just radiates out, you know. Um, so um, red. As read, you visit schools and you inspire children to live up to their potential. Can people go and donate? How do they get to find everything they need to know about coming to giving money to the Blue Heart Sanctuary, to help with the book, to, write, to buy it? Tell us what you need from, from, the, from the people here. What do you need from okay. us? Okay. Well, the sanctuary has its, uh, its own Facebook page, uh, Blue Heart Sanctuary, and it also has its own website, which is blueheartsanctuary.org. Um, and there's, you know, if you just go to the website itself, you could donate to the, to the Blue Heart Sanctuary. And you can kind of, you know, note that if you wanted to go to food, if you wanted to go to shelter. Uh, some people like to have it go to a certain specific type of creature, like the sheep or the pigs. Um, uh, and as far as the book goes, on HeavySketches.com, there's, there's actually a lot there. You can kind of read up about me a little bit. You can go to our blog and see some of the things that we're doing. You can read about the book, and there's some sample pages. And you can order it right from there as well, from HeavySketches.com. And so, so yeah. yeah I so mean, go there perfect. and make a change. Do, do something to help. I mean... Getting up off the couch and doing something is always going to make you feel better and is going to help make this planet a better place full of love and light. And like I said, we, we really need that right now on the planet. Well, and I always was be- really bad all, all my life of not asking people, of always saying I'm going to do it myself, do it myself. Um, and I realized <laughs> getting a little old, people do want to help, and maybe they don't have the time or the or, or this or that to come out, but they, you know, a lot of people, you know, whether it's $5 or $10 or something, if they know that you have the desire and the energy and the persistence to do something, we need people like that. And so, you know, my energy level hasn't gone down. If anything, it's gone up since um, this book has started because I, I really see, I thought I lived my dream all my life with the animals and doing the at-risk kids. I, I, you know, I had lived a life that was, I've done a lot of things, a lot of great things, and then I realized, well, I'm really, there's a lot more ahead and a lot more helping and a lot more, as you said, you know, creating this ripple effect, not just with the kids, but with adults um, as well, because these kids are in the situation they're in because of the adult. So, so, yeah, and it's, it's an... Amazing what you're doing. I want to thank you and appreciate and tell you how much I appreciate that. We have like two minutes left, and I just wanted to kind of top on something really quickly. That what inspired me to do this program, the elephant in the room that I am teaching right now, was from an ex- exercise when I saw you at Jack Canfield's on the stage with that 17 year old um, healer from India, um, Krishna, and right. he, you were and he was trying to he did the elephant exercise with you so I just wanted to bring that into the fact that that's the reason that I'm now going out and teaching about the elephant in the room and when we are inspired by something that gives us that much passion we jump out of bed and can't wait to go and do it so so I want to ask everyone out there go find what your passion is and and get up and do something do something amazing um 
people that are changing the world are important in speaking out. Chad, thank you so much for speaking out with us and sharing this. Well, thank it, you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Is there something you would like to leave in the last little 30 seconds, Sarah, message to the listeners? I just, I'm just going to reflect on what you said because, and especially for the men, the, the men and, and the, bo- the young boys out there, uh, there's too many men who are silent who are good guys, and we need a lot of these men uh, to stand up and be vocal um, about be, you know, treating the world and women and, and just people in general uh, with love. Thank you for doing that. That is important coming from a man. It's important. And we will talk more, actually, because you're going to actually be on the television with me. So we'll talk more about that subject. And, Chad, thanks again for being here. Go and look at Red Roll and HeavySketches.com. So thank you, Chad. Thank you, Christy. All right. Until next week, namaste and get up and do something for the children around you. Thank you for listening to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Christy Ellen hopes that you will join her on another journey next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.